0: Hello Food World. It's your favorite foodie friend, Robert Crutchfield from Crutchfield Cooks, here with another fascinating episode of Crutchfield Cooks the podcast. At this time around, we're talking to one of our country's best chefs, Joe Gatto, the host of From Scratch and the upcoming show This is not a cooking show. Here's Joe. We're here with Joe Gatto from TV, books, (laughs) private chefing. Yep. Well, you know your background better than I do. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Because we're we're having way too much fun not to have an audience. We are. And well, I'm
1: Chef Joe Gatto. I'm Boston-based. I'm a private chef to A-list clients. I have cooked for professional athletes from Celtics players to Red Sox players. I have a national book called From Scratch. I have an NPR radio show called Joe Gattos from Scratch. And I have a TV show that shows on Pluto and Apple called shockingly Joe Gattos from Scratch. Because, whoa, here what a curveball. I do everything from scratch. So I literally love that part of it. I hand forge my own knives. I pull water out of the Atlantic and make salt, milk cows, make butter and cheese, make my own charcoal. You know, I really try to take it to the limits and have a blast doing it. So that's kind of like my background in a nutshell. And again, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited.
0: Absolutely, Joe. And while we're still on the background aspect of it and whatnot, uh, why don't you go into a little bit on your food influences and, and how you got started? And how did you get from day one to where you are now?
1: Yeah, that, I mean... Honestly, the answer, if we want to boil it down to one thing, is my mom. You know, I, I grew up on the counter of my mom's kitchen when I was a little kid, sifting and doing things like that, and then eventually graduating to shopping. And it really, it wasn't just the food, which was always delicious and always fun. It really created a bond. And I bonded with food that way, where it was bonding with relationships, bonding with spending time with my mom at all encompassed around the food for me which eventually really became my calling card of what i do I'm, I'm a big believer in how food brings people together and then the from scratch angle i just you know i i really got interested in food i've been cooking my entire life but when the chef stuff started it was right at the dawn of food network and I was seeing all these chefs and introduced to food that I hadn't seen before. Just, and I'd seen it, but not how it was made. You know, it always came out of the back of a restaurant. And then I started really getting into that. And next thing you know, I wanted to know, like, if they're making sriracha, why, why are they fermenting? What does that mean? So I would do it. And then I just, it just kind of grew from there where, you know, now if we're making pizza... My kids and I are grinding the flour. We're pulling the fresh moths. And it really just became more of, it started as a curiosity. And now I painted myself into a corner because there's no way I can't do it. You know, if I, if I do a dish, I really need to understand why it works from the core. I can't just sear a chicken breast because someone said that's why. I need to know why. And I need to, find out the science behind it and really dig and then break down a whole chicken and figure out why the breast comes off the bone. Like just all of that always is a curiosity for me and pushing it on the culinary side is really interesting to me. It's what keeps my passion alive.
0: Oh, you and me both. I think I, there's a couple of things. Uh, My grandfather and great grandfather were chefs. Oh, I tell, I tell people that food is in my DNA. It is, for sure. And like you, I learned most of what I know about cooking from my mother. But uh, there's a longer story to that because my mother learned from her mother to begin with, who was a better than fair farm cook. Then uh, back during the Korean War, she married my father, came back down here to Houston, and uh, learned at the elbow of her new father-in-law. Wow. Okay. Okay. She she would sit with my grandfather at the restaurant while she was waiting for my father to get off work. What kind of restaurant? Basic American comfort food, steak. I oh, love it. Go for Meatloaf, things like that. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, I saw one of the old menus once. It would break your heart. Steak dinners. Steak dinners for two dollars.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Is that paying
0: for a dollar a glass.
1: Oh, I <laughs> those love were the that. days. That I love that, like that comfort stick to your ribs kind of food. It, I feel like every culture has that. And I mean, that's, that's kind of my, my wife calls me grandmother for every, every kind of different food that I cook from, you know, Korean to Mexican. It definitely, I like that peasant long, slow braises, that kind of deep, rich culture that comes with, with each dish.
0: The other part of the curiosity aspect of it for me is you mentioned Food Network. I'm notorious to watch, for watching Food Network with my cell phone because Chef Irvine or whoever will be doing whatever, and I'll be on my cell phone going, okay, Google, what what was that technique?
1: Yep, uh, yep. Tell yep. Me a, that, that started tell, for me.
0: Tell me about that ingredient because... Yeah, I'd never <laughs> he threw, heard of that. He, he threw a new one in there. <laughs> I mean, the early
1: 2000s, it was just... You know, it was breakthrough. I grew, you know, when I was in the kitchen with my mom, we had a little 12-inch black and white TV, and we'd watch Julia Child, who I met, and Jacques Pepin. And, you know, and watching them and cooking with my mom, like you were saying, in your DNA, I think it really, it really shaped who I am and how I cook and the curiosity, the passion, and the fun that I have all the time when I'm making a dish. Yeah, Meatballs for the kids, or you know, some high end dish.
0: Yeah, I got to study under Chef Papin for a whole hour back during the pandemic, when the American Culinary Federation did their first virtual national convention because we couldn't get together. And even though it was virtual, and even though it's for an hour, you'd be surprised how many people are fascinated the fact that I studied under Jacques Papin.
1: Yeah, I mean that's an amazing. I mean that's something you'll never forget. And I mean he's a master, and he's an icon in TV food, which I do, you know, him and yeah. Julie, shape. Oh him.
0: yeah. Well, that that's my point. He's such an icon that even though I only studied with him for an hour and it was only, it was, it was virtual because of the pandemic, we couldn't get together. Right. Even, even pros in the food world are like, you studied with Jacques Pepin. Oh yeah. I'm like, yeah, so, for yeah. an hour. With a yeah, thousand I mean, other people.
1: <laughs> hey, I I mean, still you get to say that which is, in my opinion, makes you super cool.
0: Well, yeah, because there's so many people in the, in the industry, they're like, okay, I haven't even studied with Jacques Pepin for an hour.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> just watching him cook an egg is is still fascinating to me.
0: Sure. Let's get back to the chef of the moment. Why don't you, you talked about being a personal chef for baseball players and basketball players and hmm. and that kind of thing. Tell us a little bit what it's like to be a chef for for professional athletes. Is it like cooking with bod- for models, where all they all they eat is water and cigarettes? Or, or- uh,
1: we just have a we yeah I I just give them half a bar of chocolate and a
0: cigarette. Is it all? It's all a skinless chicken breast, or or I mean, do, do Athletes are pro- there, they're do they protein cut, heavy. Do they cut loose like the rest of us once in a while and have a treat? um Well, just like the rest of us, some more than others. Oh, and
1: depending on who you're cooking for and, and the sport they play, you know, but mostly athletes, I find always extremely nice. I mean, I'm always, they're always fantastic and like cooking for Celtics players. You know, I was lucky enough where, you know, I have a 13 year old son and, you know, they would give us tickets and, you know, give him swag and we'd go to games and things like that, which he loved. So it was, that's a great thing. But mostly with athletes, you're going to find lean proteins and vegetables. That's really where their nutrition lies. They eat a lot because they're burning so many calories at all times. But since they do consume a lot, you have to watch the calorie count. So you have to watch, you know, it is It's a lot of salmon. It's a lot of seared salmon. You know, it's never like butter sauces and things like that. And I mean, occasionally they let loose, But like I said, more than you know, everybody's different, but uh, mostly they're they're pretty strict, and you work hand in hand with the nutrition and the team as well, the nutritionalists and the team.
0: Sure, sure. We were talking before we started recur- recording a little bit about the Mexican and Tex-Mex aspects of the cuisine you cook. Can you explain to the audience a little bit about that and, and what it's like for a guy in the land of? clam chowder to be okay. cooking like you're here in Southeast Texas.
1: Yeah, that's a huge thing for me. Like I was saying, we, we have a place in Mexico in Tulum. So we go down, you know, we've been down a bunch. And that food to me just speaks to me. I love the simplicity and the complexity of it. I love how it's a very few ingredients. But they make something that's spectacular because they range from, you know, a deep, rich braised meat to a spicy, acidic salsa to a soft, handmade corn tortilla. All of those things I love. And I love the culture and how they eat down there. It's just it's food that I always loved. And look, when I grew up, I'm sure you, you know, depending on where you grew up, I grew up in Massachusetts. So Mexican food to me was. A little shop at the Burlington Mall where you'd get a, a stale, crunchy taco shell filled with ground beef and some kind of packet you'd squirt on it, <laughs> and that was a taco. But then I lived in LA because I mean I, I did film. My wife and I lived there for quite a while, and when I got to LA, a lot changed for me food-wise because growing up in Boston, it has that heavy European influence. Where when you go to California, you know, it's influenced by Mexico and Asia. And it's just a whole different experience food-wise for me. Plus, there's a lot more food culture there. Just every pocket of L.A. is different. And when I found Mexican food there, I pretty much, that was it. It was like if I had to marry a food, that was it. I found my, (laughs) my food wife, you know.
0: I I hear you there, and one of the things I like about it personally is even the our friends at the Culinary Institute of America. One of the things they point out about Tex-Mex, which they, among others, identify as a completely different cuisine from Mexican, it is. It's it's the incredible flexibility. Mm. I mean, I could make five hundred different things that are tacos. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you know, you it we've actually had this discussion a couple of times with friends of mine and chefs, and you know, like when does it stop being a taco? What if you put mac and cheese in it? Is it a taco? Yeah.
0: I don't know. It's like it's
1: what's a sandwich, right? It's like that that whole thing. I what? I I love the flexibility of Mexican food because you can take something, you know, like making I made Conchinita P bill this weekend and then you turn it into tacos, and then you turn it into empanadas. And it's just like, it's never ending. And the the flavor combinations sting to me. I love those bright acids and those deep, rich proteins. They just, I love that.
0: Well, one thing that fascinates me, you you talked about empanadas, which are Mm. principally from Argentina, Venezuela, that part of South America. Is the incredible similarity they have to an Italian calzone, among oh. other things? What? How are these not the same thing? Yeah. I, I, what's amazing is these things were created five hundred, a thousand years ago, where there right? was no internet. There, there was no. Did this guy have a boat we didn't know about? And-
1: we're we're definitely we're like we're simpatico here because I I have this I I do a lot of big like uh, demos and live. Cl- in Boston I work with a lot of the resident hotels and we do these like big classes 30-40 people and one of the things I teach is pasta and we make tortellinis by hand but then I do a dumpling and you make potstickers right and then pierogies and then empanat, like all of these things came to fruition and they're they're all so similar and they're all like huge pieces of each culture's food like empanadas huge dumplings huge right tortellini's huge it's just it's amazing to me how many things are similar in in the world but it's just what goes inside
0: yeah and, and 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 it makes it easy on you because you could take your cooking class from the north end there in boston to Asian town, and all you do is change the names everything it's all good
1: that's exactly to say right it's all the same equi- it, it's so fun and it does. And that's another great aspect for me from the from scratch thing is the deeper you go, the more you learn. You know, when you're making all the pot sticker dough and then you're making the pasta dough and you're making pierogi dough, you just start to learn that there's there's very little difference. It's just nuance. It's hot water, or cold water. It's a little less least, little less yeast, a little more yeast, you know?
0: Yeah. Pasta dough is cooked. Pizza dough is because pizza dough you're going to stick in a 400 degree oven
1: or exactly a thousand degree oven exactly when we make you know the pasta dough people are surprised it's just you know flour and eggs it's it's really simple it's just but the difference between that and store-bought pasta is night and day
0: sure Mm -hmm. mostly partly because you back out all the crud like the preservatives and the right anything that makes it
1: shelf stable and i mean we do all different kinds of i mean People want people that are listening want to see, you can always go to my Instagram at Chef Jogato and you can see everything we do. There's tons of videos up. There's all different, I mean, from grinding flour to make doughs, like everything I put on my Instagram, which is at Chef Jogato. It's super fun. And you can really see just how easy it is to do a lot of these dishes from scratch, which people are usually intimidated by, but you don't have to be. It's a really simple process most of the time.
0: Absolutely. I used to be intimidated about it until people started explaining to me. And I was like, seriously? Right. Is that all you're talking about? Exactly. Even like even making bacon from scratch.
1: Right. It's just pork belly in a brine for 10 days and then you're smoking it. I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's not that hard. It seems like, well, I can't do that. But when you break down the steps, it's really like most the bridge does most of the work, you know?
0: Well, before we transition completely to the TV part of things, can you talk a little bit about you got all these different things going on? You got the personal chef thing, the books, the TV shows, the cooking classes. Any chef's world is excruciatingly busy. Mm-hmm. So, so, so why do you put yourself through this and how do you make it work? Well, for me,
1: it's what I do and it's who I am and I absolutely love it. And being an entrepreneur with, these multiple businesses, you know, I do control my time and I do control what I want to do, when I want to do it, so I do make my kids lunches, I do see them when they get home from school. I do get to bring them to a lot of events with me where you know i have a I have a four, uh, four-year-old, a four year old a ten year old and a thirteen year old and so they do so much with me that doing it this way where You know, I bring my daughter on my national radio show and people love her. I put my kids in my TV show, right? Or I teach a class for 40 people and my kids are there teaching these adults who love it because they're hilarious. So for me, it was the way I wanted to shape my career. I never wanted someone to control my time, nor did I want them to tell me what to do. I'm not good with that. So I really found a niche teaching people, which the TV show is, it's just a version of teaching and the book is teaching and the classes are teaching. I love passing on knowledge and I love being in front of people. I love talking to people and engaging with them. So that's where I found I had the most joy and I'm a big believer in you take that joy and you wrap your career around that. What you love to do, you have to find a way to make it work. Yeah. Am I busy? Absolutely. I love it though. I love being busy. I love doing what I do because I do get to share it and I don't miss out on my kids growing up. And that was the most important thing for me that you have to like just like a dish, you know, just like any really good dish, what's the key? Balance. Same in life. For me, it's all about balance. And I love working. I love I love what I do, but I love being with my family and being able to integrate those makes it even seem like I'm not busy.
0: Absolutely. Let's get into the the TV part of it, which <laughs> also relates to your your show on NPR. That's an interesting idea of cooking on the radio. Yeah, we uh, we stream it live
1: and, you know, people people have really taken to it because you really get to just hear about how to do it. And then you can tune, you you know, because it's WBUR, which is NPR radio. So it's really easy to access on YouTube. They just, sure, you just go in and it's right there and they have it all streaming with multiple cameras. So it was one of those things where I was always a guest for years and years. They had me on doing things. And then people really just were interested in the from scratch angle and, and cooking. So we thought we could take it a little further and do something really fun where we're cooking in studio, talking about talking about family and at the same time if people want to see it being done they can tune in and see it that way too which is kind of taking radio in a little different aspect and that's been really fun that's been that's been one of my favorite things to do and you know i get a lot of people writing me on instagram and facebook when they listen in lots of people listening live and it's just really it's fun to put it out there for people again That from scratch is something you can do. Pulling fresh mozzah on the air sounds like, how could you even make that work? But when you listen in, you're like, oh, wow, now I want to make
0: mozzarella. Sure. Of course, two of your biggest things are your existing show, From Scratch, Mm -hmm. and your new show, This Is Not a Cooking Show. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's my first one, From Scratch. That went on to Pluto a year and a half, two years ago. It's just became very popular. People just loved it. Again, we're making everything from scratch. We're making charcoal, hand-forging knives, and people really have seemed to kind of just enjoy watching this process, which we weren't sure. We thought we'd be super niche but yeah, there's an audience that really wants to learn, because the idea was, you know, if we're getting something to cook, we're going to the farm to get it. If we're making bread, we're going to grind the flour and wheat berries and just kind of take everything as far as we can and for me it was just an absolute blast i met the most amazing people i met all these artisans and farmers and it was just i was milking cows you know that's that's a good day for me and then making cheese from that so we just really pushed it and that led to the new show which i'm doing with comedian brian callen and called this is not a cooking show which wraps around a celebrity's memory so You know, it could be any celebrity and we're going to take a food memory of theirs and we're going to explore it. And then we're going to up the ante and kind of remake their food memory in a way that they've never had it, that kind of just takes it to the top and then share it with everybody that we can and just kind of show how powerful food memories are. And that it's not just about the dish and eating it, it's about the moments that you share when that food memory is created, so we think that's a really
0: interesting show, and we're in talk with networks now. Sounds good. Can you go into a little more detail? I know with the new show, one of the things you do with these celebrities is you take them on a culinary adventure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, any like we take a celebrity who's let's say loves the a sausage. You know, he had a sausage at Dodger Stadium when he was a kid, right? Just. That was his memory with his dad. So we're going to go and take him on this adventure in L.A. to rebuild that memory. But we're going to up it. We're going to go to one of the oldest bread companies in Los Angeles and see how bread was made when they started the company back in the early 1900s. Then we're going to go to this gentleman who builds his own grills, the big, huge steel grills, steel drum grills. And we're going to build one of those with him. And, you know, so we can cook the sausage that we're going to go to this old school butcher, break down a pig, and then grind all the meat for the sausage and make the sausage from scratch. So each piece will be from scratch to rebuild the memory. So we take the beautiful culinary tour of right now it's Los Angeles will be the first season and really explore the memory and explore food at the same time to rebuild that memory. So it blows their mind.
0: That's good. I don't I want to get some more things in before time gets away from us here. For sure, are there, say, two or three tips you'd like to leave with pe- leave with people so that when they get through this half hour, they come away from it as better?
1: Sure, absolutely. Cook what you like. That's a big thing for me. Cook what you like. Start off with dishes that you like, because I know people get stuck on one dish at home a lot of times, and that's all they cook but cook a dish that you like at a restaurant that you're a little intimidated by. You know, if it's searing filet or something like that, practice that and get really good at it. Get good at one dish and then expand it out. And one of the things I tell people all the time is work on your knife work because people will skip over dishes and not make dishes because there's too much chopping and they're not good with a knife. I used to teach knife work all the time. And I found that People still reach out to me that have taken the classes and said that it changed their their relationship with the kitchen because they started cooking more because they had that confidence with a knife. And that's really just looking up on Google how, how to hold a knife when you're pinching the blade so you can really chop properly. And that's something that I love to share with people. And then always cook with your family. People put the pressure on themselves to make all I've got to get the meals down so. Everyone can eat at five o'clock. It's all on me, 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 me. Split those up. My kids are in the kitchen constantly. You run the mixer for the meatballs, right? You start chopping this for the vegetables. You get that sauteed, right? And they're, everybody's working. It takes the pressure off, plus the meal's a lot better when you make it together.
0: Oh, yeah, my, fa- my family and I are the same way. My oldest grandson, who's now eighteen, started cooking because he told Mimi we didn't have any cookies, and so of course Mimi brings out the sugar and the flour and the eggs <laughs> and so forth. He's like, cheap enough, right? He's like, you want food, you just make it. He's like, well, what really got crazy was he's like, well, what if you don't know how? Oh, no. then then she went into the pantry and showed him cookbooks, little man. Wait, this my books. Who, <laughs> Food comes with instructions. This can't be. He's like, I'm too. I understand. I I get instructions. <laughs> what kind of culinary Pandora's box
1: have you opened here?
0: You know what's funny is what's funny about it is like I say, he's 18 now, and his original apron that we got him with his name on it, it barely fits on his arm now
1: that's great i'll pass that on right
0: so so when he when when people ask him how long he's been cooking he takes out his old apron which we still have that's awesome this long
1: (laughs) that's fantastic i love that story that's like that's what food's all about that story right there that's beautiful
0: okay i'm trying to i'm listening i'm trying to watch our clock at the same time yeah yeah Uh, you just let me know let's wrap up the recorded part here but i i want to end that part with you putting out the information one more time if if somebody doesn't have enough joe gatto where do they go what do they do oh
1: if you want to get more joe gatto that's no problem you can go to just go to my instagram that's the key it has links to all my tv show everything like that it's at chef joe gatto it's really easy instagram and i have a page on facebook or from scratch which is from scratch the tv show which you can access on Facebook, but Instagram has everything at Chef Joe Gatto. So definitely follow me there and watch my culinary journey. Pretty fun.
0: I would certainly encourage people to do that. Thank you, Joe.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast.
0: Wow. There's almost too much Joe for a half hour show. But we squoze a lot in, didn't we? Be sure not to miss our next episode because you never know what you're going to miss.